for time and the world do not stand still. Change is the law of life, and those who look only to the past or the present are certain to miss the future. I said, are certain to miss the future. <laughs> oh no, I missed that. Prime Minister Castro, this missile crisis was the last straw. We almost blew ourselves up. Now we invited you here today. In good faith. In good faith. To sort this thing out. And why is he here? He lost. As I always say, forgive your enemies, but remember their names. Now, gentlemen, as I like to think, in the long history of the world, that there are only a few generations. Sounds like someone breaking in. It's just a storm, Dick. Sit down. It appears the Pentagon has been breached. Zombies. Gentlemen, at times like these, our capacity to retaliate must be and has to be massive to deter all forms of aggression. Gentlemen, lock and load. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome and thank you for joining us on BBC One. I'm your host, Ben, and today on what we hope will be an hour of contemplative reasoning and illuminating, elucidating logic, I'm joined by my co-host, Aubrey. Good evening, everybody. Welcome back for another week. Oh, and that's tough. Very exciting. Both of us are absolutely elated to introduce today our guest for this session, Julian. Very, very happy to be here. I am elated, gentlemen. Okay, well, that's enough of that bullshit uh, English accent. I don't know about you, but I feel like we wore out its welcome. Yeah, nothing, nothing quite like a horrific British accent to start it off. No, we got to keep it real with the people. That's how I always introduce myself, though. I don't know if you know that, but I, I always start with that and then just drop it off, maybe like five minutes into the conversation. Oh, yeah. Actually, so um, when I drink a little bit too much, you can always tell when I've hit that, like, buzzed. Not, I'm not talking sloshed. I'm talking buzzed. Yeah. You can always tell when I'm there because I tend to have, like, an East Coast accent that just really comes out hard. And, Actually, um, I've noticed this. I've, yeah. So my first two uh, days at the bar, I, you know, Derek was pouring me shots as yeah. we went. Um, and so, you know, by 9 p.m., I had a nice little buzz going. Mm -hmm. So all these people would come in and be like, oh, my God, what's your accent? And I'm like, oh, I just I grew up just outside of New York. And they're like, oh, my God, I can hear that. And I'm like, uh, yeah. And then I started being like, I'm just not going to drink at work because I work at a bar. I don't want to like, you know, don't get high on your own supply type shit. It's it's a very real concern that a lot of people have, man. Like but now whenever i have customers they're like wait didn't you have like a really hard like east coast accent last time i saw you <laughs> yes you're not wrong oh man that's awesome but um i'm when just you, not i'm sober now so when you first came out here did you notice like idahoans do they feel like they have accents to you you guys have no accent whatsoever it's 
it's literally just like blank slate. That's so absurd. That is kind of like textbook Boise to a lot of other places like Denver. I found is it's like the complete absence of an accent is the accent. Yeah, it's kind of like very vanilla English. There's no flavor there. Hey, as I get older, I don't hate vanilla so much. But I do remember that feeling of like, this is so boring. I love vanilla. What is with people in this flavor? I've always been a vanilla stan my whole life. I don't think I've I was ever just been vanilla. But never that's felt like, oh, yeah, vanilla. This couldn't be made better with chocolate or so, like add something. But now, no, I'm starting to see. I think it's a little refined, kind of traditional. Think about how many thousands of years of human history it took for us to get vanilla as a flavor. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't want to hear any vanilla slander up in this bitch. That's Even- a really interesting point. What would be like the like slang term for plain in like 1200 AD? British food. Porridge. <laughs> Always and forever. Porridge. Gruel. Any meal. Any ground grains. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, like, that's the interesting thing is that the Brits spent, what, like a couple hundred years trying to accrue spice from all over the planet and decided to use absolutely none of it. It's the funniest thing, though. And yet they have like, dude, they had access to everything. They, They had access to everything. And British food is horrible. Well, now curry is really big. But that's not British food. I suppose to be fair, uh, you know, the British like British food is still horrible. But hey, they've got some of the nicest restaurants in the world out there, like French, Asian. Yeah. But they they just took all those cultures and was just like, why don't you just come cook that food for us? You know, the gateway of the world, though. Yeah. You know, it's right in the middle of the Middle East, uh, right near Africa, relatively Compared to us, uh, pretty close to Asia, you know. Yeah. England? So, yeah. It's the gateway. Everyone in the world goes through England to get pretty mm-hmm. much anywhere. Yeah. That's why it's like the most ethnically diverse city in the world is London. I don't know about that. Take some beep research to find out. That was me crushing a Capri Sun. Here's, here's a question. Do you know if it's still rude to do this in France? Uh, yes. Cool. Well, no, no, no. This peace sign away from this is peace. This is fuck you. So if your palm is facing them, that's peace. If the back of your hand is facing so, them. So that's fuck you. Index and ring finger up. Just explaining. But like facing out. So nails facing towards the person that you were gesturing to. Yeah. So people, like, if they wanted to tell you to fuck off, they'd be like, jog on yeah hmm yeah so but yeah. um because those are your those are the fingers you use to pull the bowstrings yeah and when the, the english war, yeah yeah when the english would take over or uh come upon french uh frenchmen they'd cut off their bow fingers so that they couldn't shoot when the french would come upon history check what english. when was when was the hundred years of war you said the reverse i did like, does, do we know? 100 years war. Like, I think it was at least 100 years ago. More nice. than two. Yeah, maybe than like 200? five. Ooh, 500. Wow. 
No, five years. 1600? At least. Five years? At least five years ago. Do we want to be bold and say it was at least 100 years ago? I feel like the 100 years war is still not over. It just keeps going. France is like, we did not lose. We will never lose. We make the Englishmen think they won. The French shadow warrior. (laughs) (laughs) It's just Macron. Yo, 1337 to 1453. Dang. And to think that that's still fresh enough in the minds of uh, English and French that they'd consider that an insult still. That's, That's what I thought is I'm like, man, Americans forget things after like, 10 minutes yeah much much less like thousands of years you know we do have real historic amnesia i mean we have amnesia i'd argue to almost anything that matters you dude you ask most americans our age about anything important that happened after the like before the 2000s no answers man like absolutely no answers like if it didn't happen in your lifetime a lot of people just blank on it and that is wild to me it just blows my mind yeah no we're a pretty uh dumb population by and large yeah well they say american culture stems from the victorian era mm-hmm. and then uh, again post-world war ii so that's the elizabethan era essentially yeah and that just ended so my guess is we're gonna have some world shifting event take place and the seeds of which might already be underway but are you guys ready for the uh covid 2.0 coming uh election year this year it's gonna happen oh absolutely i don't know if covid's gonna be if donald trump is on the ticket again there will be another apocalyptic sickness i can guarantee it well here's no the- that's only after he gets in office yeah oh i guess you're right so if he gets in office when he well he's not up for re-election so maybe we'll miss that i mean it was just one of those things that you know it just got milked forever and the crazy thing about it is you can i think covid showed us that you can fabricate a national emergency if you want to a global emergency yeah dude you shut down the they shut down the entire world over and i i don't want to like you know say that it wasn't bad certainly it was bad but like the world didn't shut down for swine flu or ebola yeah or like heck like think well, of and one also- other place think of one other medical situation one kind of plague that affected the world more than this one that was more deadly k-pop k-pop that's the only one that's true as Uh, also some anime not all i mean hentai tiktok tiktok oh yeah tiktok's the real killer Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised. I bet you there's some statistic about how many kids have killed themselves or gotten killed as a result of TikTok. I think we should start uh, banning that. It's already on this. I think that's going through Congress right now. Yeah, and social media in general is just like that kind of... It, it completely changes your mindset. You I know? hate social media. Dude, it's pretty... Oof. I mean, 
you want to engage in it because, you know, it is one of those blessings that we can engage with pretty much anyone we want to out there at any given time. But it is also just information overload almost. Yeah. Well, and also, I mean, what sucks about everything is everything has become politicized. So even news has some political bent to it now. So mm -hmm. there's really no objective truth. And I think social media is the final frontier of postmodernism. Yeah. Hmm. What were we talking about earlier where I was like, save this shit for the podcast? Oh, shit. That was a that was a spicy conversation. Talking about something. I mean, we, we were talking bar related, and then we were talking about liquor licenses. Liquor licenses. Oh, liquor licenses. Oh, oh, Idaho liquor license law. Let's make it happen. All right. So, uh, for anyone who does not live anywhere near to Idaho, um, Idaho is passing a law that changes the way liquor licenses are distributed. When it comes to liquor licenses in Idaho, they only s administer so many and then they're done. What that does is it allows for people to hold and sell liquor licenses. Liquor licenses being the thing that allows you to sell liquor. You're not allowed to sell liquor unless it comes through the state and you are licensed by the state to do it. However, those licenses can be held by private citizens and then sold to the highest bidder or leased. And so what it does is it allows people to hold a monopoly on these licenses. That's currently being changed, but the liquor laws in Idaho are so messed up at the moment. How are they going to change that in a way that actually has like any effect? Are they going to like have more volume? From what I understand of the bill, and this is like a brief like read over but the bill um limits the amount of liquor licenses you can hold to one so one individual can hold each liquor license and so let's say you're an individual who holds like three or four um you have one sale so you can sell it once for the minimum for what they issued it at so you can't make a profit off of it but you can you can sell it for what you bought it for to another individual hmm. and then at that point it's you can i suppose you can buy one so let's say like you opened up an llc or like a different corporation or whatever certainly you could buy one tied to that llc but no private individual can hold three four five you know but can llcs uh sell them at a profit i don't think I think it bans the sale of liquor licenses, period. They will just be issued by the state from here on out. Oh, interesting. That's my understanding of the bill. So it's trying to just completely ban the market of it. Because let's be honest, licensure is not necessarily that something that you should be making a private market on. I mean, it's kind of like similar to building a business on making fake IDs, right? Yeah. You know, if it was easier to, well, I'm certainly not encouraging underage drinking, but let's say like it was something, say you had to get a licensure to drink water or whatever, something or like, yeah, you need to get a licensure to start a business in general, right? And then people were forging those licensures or making money off of 
getting people into that. That it, to me, that makes no sense. Any barrier to letting people into the competitive space, to letting people into opening up a bar, opening up whatever business you want to do. I just don't understand those barriers, man. It just, it, it makes no sense to me. I understand the government needs to get its cut, but you know, it's, it's limiting citizens from engaging in, in the business. It's limiting the business as a whole. And part of that is, part of that is because of, there is a Mormon influence on Idaho. There is a fundamentalist Christian influence on Idaho. There's a significant portion of the population in Idaho that does not drink. Yeah. But I feel like that's more like a rural north thing. I don't know. I don't know too many people in the Treasure Valley that don't drink. That's a good point. But, you know, Idaho is... Idaho consumes more wine per capita than any other state. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we do. It's funny. We we are wine country, but if you ask any of my sommelier friends, uh, Idaho is not wine country. Yeah, sure, we produce wine, but it's not. According to my sommelier friends, not good quality, not worth studying. Well, isn't it that our vine stock is not... It's not that old, our vine stock. Uh, our is... vine stock isn't that old, and also it's... Um, it's the temperament that we live in it's soil quality um it's things like that um that make it so that idaho will never produce like some of the best wine in the world we're just not it's just not the kind of soil that will grow the best wine in the world that being said there's some amazing wines that come out of idaho but like if you're looking for like you're bottle, not getting shot till marcos no, yeah. here if you're if you're looking to like sell you know grand crews or whatever like if you're looking to get grand crew level prices like two thousand three thousand dollar bottles you're just not going to get them out but of don't you think some of the pricing of alcohol is kind of just based on hype like Absolutely. i'd argue that grand dame or uh vouve clicquot is better than um Absolutely. I mean, Dom like Perignon, but everyone knows bottle of the Dom. You don't know that much about Vuv. Well, so yeah, Vuv I mean, like sells that's... for 60, Dom sells for 200. It's similar to Gucci, man. Like it's, it, it, there's some brands that are great quality, but they're not Gucci, man. That's like the same thing as Dom Perignon. People will see Dom Perignon, they'll buy it. It's $300. It's probably not worth $300, but it's good. It's damn good wine. And part of the reason why that is, is because there is so much rules based on what you can call something and what you can't. So, like, I reference Grand Cru. Grand Cru is like a subcult. It's like a name for wine. And these reference different regions, but also like different levels of quality. So, you know, whenever you hear Champagne, everyone knows Champagne region of France, right? Everyone knows like different regions there's chablis there's so many different like wine regions Armagna, Napa yeah. yeah i'm not like qualified to speak on most of it but i will say like it's a lot of it is because of where it comes from and what it's named for instance bourbon is one of those things that there was a humongous bourbon market um in the 1900s especially um by 1800s, 1900s, there was a huge problem with bourbon because anyone could call anything bourbon. And so people would basically taking vodka, add tobacco, spit, sell it as bourbon. And because it's bourbon, people would buy it thinking it's good quality. It's not good quality. So eventually they had to, the government had to start coming in and legally defining what 
bourbon is. Fun fact, trivia. Hold on. What president wrote the legal definition for bourbon? Teddy Roosevelt. Nope. This uh, pre or post prohibition? Uh, pre prohibition. Garfield. No. Can I take a crack, Ben? Fuck. I don't know. I, I mean, I'll, I'll give a hint. This president was also the only president to serve on the Supreme Court. That should make it obvious. But uh, I have to acknowledge Cleveland. No, my uh, my knowledge of SCOTUS is uh, illustrious history is not as uh, that's all right. It's just a fun fact. I know it is William Howard Taft. I only gonna guess Taft. Oh, fuck. I should only have said president that. to ever serve on the Supreme Court and serve as president. And fun fact, wasn't he the guy who was so fat they needed to install like a big ass? Uh, that's the legend. That is the legend. I, they installed like a huge tub in his bathroom because he couldn't fit in a standard one. Wide boy. Maybe it's because he's drinking too much bourbon while writing on it. <laughs> Could be that and many more uh, presidential theories to come. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, damn. Oh, also, for those of you who don't know the connection, um, Julian is the guy who got me the ins to work as a barkeep at the bar just underneath his. So I've been doing it just a bit longer than he has. <laughs> I've been doing it uh, like what? Six months almost now. Yeah. Holy You're doing shit. a damn fine job. Here's the thing about bartending. Bartending is not that hard, man. So long no. as you keep your head screwed on straight and you don't like fucking drink yourself under the bar. It is not that hard. No, it's honestly, it's it's just like any other form of culinary skill. Exactly. You combine things and then shake them in the right way or stir them and then combine them in a nice artistic way with a good presentation. Basically, you don't you don't do coke. Exactly. <laughs> it's basically being a chef, except instead of having access to a boatload of alcohol or instead of having access to like drugs and being away from people, we have access to a boatload of alcohol and have to make sure that we look presentable so that the people who are drinking from us don't question the origin. Yeah. Yeah. So long as you put on a good face, you're fine. Yeah. I mean, although you joked about Coke, you'd be surprised how many people are in the restaurant industry is like ubiquitous. Oh dude. Coke in the bar industry is ubiquitous. I mean, ubiquitous. Ubiquitous. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, no, the Coke in the bar industry is insane. Um, when I first got into it, and I won't name names because, you know, great guys all around, but there were some guys that would come in, like rock cocktails, disappear for five minutes, rock more cocktails. We'd do four whiskey shots, get out of there at 2.33 in the morning, walk through like downtown Denver, like with a bunch of the other crackheads, and then wake up at 4 p.m. after everyone has gotten home from work and do it all again. Wait, sorry. Speaking of crackheads, didn't you get stabbed? Uh, yeah, I got into a bum fight on a bus. It was it was ridiculous, man. You want to go into a little more detail than that? Because, dude, so, um, I got on this public bus. Um, it was like 2:30 at night. I had just gotten off shift, and I get on this bus, and this lady gets on the bus, and she like sits down she's got a hoodie all kinds of things um and she's just shaking just like 
shaking, shivering. This is not that uncommon if you take Denver public transportation very often or pretty much any big city public transportation often, you will be on the bus or train or whatever with tweakers. It's just, it's, it's, it's a matter of fact. It's, it's what you will deal with if you live in a big city. I'm sure everyone's familiar with that. However, this particular tweaker was not having an incredibly great time. I was just checking baseball scores on my phone, I think. And this girl's just mad dogging me. Like, eyes wide, just mad dogging me. Just staring me down. And so I'm just looking at my phone. I think if I don't engage her, you know, she'll calm down, whatever. But it becomes very obvious pretty quickly that this girl is like clearly aggressive towards me. She is something's going to happen. Intent on doing you harm. Well, and then I look back down at my phone and then I hear click, 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 click. And I whip my head up and this girl's got a box cutter in her lap. And so I'm like, oh, okay. I might be a mile and a half home from home right now, but I pull the, if you've ever rode public transportation, you pull the lever that lets them know like, hey, bus stop, please stop at the next bus stop. I want to get off this bus. Normally it would be because I, hey, I'm, my house is close to here. In my case, it was get this fucking bitch away from me. She's going to stab me with a box cutter. Yikes. And so I pull it. And then at one point she just stands up. And so I just stand up immediately. At this point, I'm just mirroring her and that spooks her. And she just throws her arms out and the rest of it's just a blur. I'm like trying to hold arms. And at some point I just kick her and get off the bus. And I think I'm fine. And the bus just, the craziest thing about this is the bus just drove off. And I'm like, I remember thinking, I'm like, man, I wonder why they're driving. I hope that girl doesn't kill anyone. And then I just started walking home. Right. I started walking home and my adrenaline was just pounding, you know, like fists balled, like ready to fight the next thing I saw. Like the girl just tried to stab me. And then I was like, wait, why am I wet? And I pull up my shirt and I am just like, she just got me probably like two to three inch gash in my side, like kind of thing. She didn't like stab into me. It wasn't like a puncture wound, but she got, she slashed through me. And I was like, ah, so I went and got it stitched up and everything like that. It was you, did, did you have your aprons and everything on or no, no, um, a lot of the time I leave those in the bar. So a lot of the times I leave those in the bar and that was just one of those times, mostly because she just had a t-shirt on. Um, I had a dress shirt on. Damn. Did you go to the hospital? I just got stitched up, man. Like It, it was fine. So you, you did go to the hospital? What? You went to the hospital. Yes. Yeah, okay. you went to the ER. Yeah. You got taken care of. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Did you have to get checked for like any uh, illnesses? Uh, they just gave me a tether shot. Oh, okay. That would suck if that's what she was using to like cook up or anything like that. Yeah. Who knows, man? At the end of the day, I'm fine. Yeah, fair enough. I've gotten some pretty gnarly. I think the probably the gnarliest industry injury I ever got bartending is I had a piece of glass lodged into my wrist next to my arteries. Yeah. Wow. 
Didn't didn't you have a guy smash a bottle on the bar and try to stab? No, yeah, there was was some people who got really mad and like just cracked a a wine glass and just starts waving it around and then puts it down immediately. But it's like, I I just don't know, man. Drunk people sometimes there is just no the barriers that make us normal people, like the, the barriers that make us sane, reasonable humans. Uh, you may think that you have several of them, several, several, several of them. Some people just don't have that many. And when they drink, those all go away. And all of a sudden you are getting assaulted or yelled at or, you know, had someone try and throw a Guinness glass at boss man's face. Like it's just it's it's just one of those things. Drunk people are uh, unpredictable. Yeah, no, um, I think it was my dad always used to say drinking is one of those things that brings out like your true self. So if you're really a piece of shit under a nice facade, drinking will probably show you that. That's a good point. That's um, an incredibly good point. A couple of days ago when I was walking back from work, there was this dude out front of a uh, silly birch yeah. and he was just like screaming at the bouncers, you know, like uh, Trevor and all yeah, those. Yeah. They're huge, big guys, big guys, huge, like linebackers d-line type shit like tall built and 250 to 300 pounds yeah and it was a short dude he was probably like i want to say five eight in like a cunty little pea coat screaming at him and i saw he threw a fucking punch and i was like oh my god you are going to die but uh he just walked away because obviously all those guys knew he was going to die if yeah. they touched him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I uh, walked down the street, grabbed the constable, you know, little cop. You know, cop stands for constable on patrol. I did not know that. Yeah. So anyway, ran down to the constabulary, uh, grabbed a guy. They got him. Next day, I didn't know that because I just grabbed the cop, gave a description and left. They yeah. got him. Yeah, literally. But (laughs) I walked into Silly the next day. I was like, hey, did did you guys get that guy? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, I've been looking for the arrest. Uh, What what did he get him on? He pulls up a photo. The guy's face is just like (laughs) fucked up. (laughs) The guy, his face is just fucked up. And he's still wearing that stupid little coat. And I looked at the charges. It's evading arrest, assaulting an officer. Petty assault, battery, like all this shit. Dude, I just threw like, the book at him. Dude, oh my god! What kind? Of, like a night of drinking should not amount to that many. Worst case scenario, like worst case scenario, any of the boys go out drinking, you get maybe uh, peeing in public or something. Public yeah, urination. I think but. my worst night of drinking ever was just like, oh yeah, I need to be helped. I need to be helped home, man. Like, yeah, I just. But some people are just. But you're a nice drunk, like. You know what I mean? Like when you get drunk, you just get sweeter, which is hard to believe. That's the the thing about, you know, that's the thing about drunkenness is that it just takes your, um, it takes all of your inhibitions away. Right. So if you are a person that just likes to talk and likes to talk nice, you just are more of that. Oh, speaking of getting guys, uh, what'd you guys do to that guy who uh, puked in your well? Uh, (laughs) Uh, the guy who puked in my well this last week was um, multiple time guest on this show, 
one of my best friends from California, David. This one goes out to you, bro. Oh boy. Oh um, boy. No, but he ordered a cognac and coke and uh-huh. threw down straight cognac. And so he was like, cognac and coke as a shot? Okay. I mean, I've never heard of that. Took it. It was straight cognac, empty stomach. It came up as quickly as it went down. Like instantaneously. He was sober too when he came into the Ooh, bar. All right. Damn. So but honestly, I'm not gonna lie, I wasn't even I wasn't even pissed because literally our breakdown it was like an hour before close. So we just kept that well closed. We were already past our rush. Breaking down the bar that night took like ten minutes because we only had one bar, all the ice was already burnt. Yeah. Why well, I, I mean I just shook my head as soon as like, ah. he, so like people come up all the time and just talk, you know, they just talk about different things or like bother us about, bother me about different stuff. But then when I heard through the grapevine that someone puked in your well, I was like, what the heck? No, well, it was a comedy of errors. So david threw up on the bar and he caught most of it in a napkin because Uh it literally it wasn't throw up it was literally just what he just drank it was cognac and acid it was cognac and stomach acid nice so he caught most of it in a napkin and then it was on the bar top so my friend clifford started trying to help and wipe it down yeah he accidentally splashed some it tipped over the edge of the bar and into the well and obviously that's all she wrote yeah that's i don't know man we how'd your new year's go oh great yeah i wish we could do cover charges more cover charges are one of those things that i wish we well <laughs> you you've heard the story of me of my new year's about the guys who came in and they were already drunk as hell oh yeah they paid a cover charge and you said bounce no, 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 they they didn't pay a char- cover charge. We did re- reservation only. No, that's what I'm saying. Like you had to pay for the whole drinks package. Well, yeah, I mean, like you pay for a seat, right? So they paid 175 each for a couple. So that's a 350 dollar charge. They paid it, right? And then they show up at 11:30 and are upset that they can't get any drinks. And I I just shrug at them. I'm like, hey man, your ticket says you can have as many drinks as you want from eight to 11:30 or when we cut you off, right? Mhm. And I don't want to be rude, but it's 11:40. I'm not going to serve you any more alcohol. And even if it was 11, you look like you've done a shot from every single bar from here to the train depot. I'm not going to serve you a drink. And they were they were all upset about it and they were like, "Well, what do you mean we we paid for it and i'm like well i'm sorry you should have uh, yeah, like, yeah if you paid 300 why drink at other bars if you already paid 300 dollars to get in another one people make no sense it's 350 dollars for unlimited alcohol get get wasted at my bar man yeah like you already paid for it <clears throat> aubrey what's so uh pressing over there Aubrey's girlfriend. Oh, Aubrey's girlfriend. Oh, we love Aubrey's girlfriend. How's Aubrey's girlfriend doing? She's good. She's still up in, you know, the great Cascadia. 
We're hearing about a big PhD program coming up, yeah? Mm, possibly. She can't say much about that because Aubrey's girlfriend still currently works for a firm and, you know, we don't want to alert the authorities that she will be probably moving on. Oh, oh. I, I, cat's out of the bag. My bad. No, it's okay. She briefly talked about it during our last outing on this podcast, so I don't think it's new news at this yeah. point. Well, and it's beginning of March right now, or a week in. Should find out and have to make a decision by mid-April, so. So the time is quickly upon us. Hey, man. Yes. Is Dog. she going to stay local if that's the case, or? Nope, she'll move up there. It's, it's a How big are move. you feeling about that? I mean, not that it really matters because, you know, it's her life, but yeah, you're part of it. I'm, you know, torn. On Are one you, hand, happy that moving on to new opportunities, chance to grow, learn, do more of what she wants and all that. But it will be an interesting time. I think it'll be a good like litmus test to find out kind of where we're at. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's a big, that's a big <clears throat> milestone. That's a big step. I actually love long distance because then you have a space that is just yours and just theirs and it's easy to keep that segmented granted i don't know how i'd feel about long distance with my current girlfriend because i actually enjoy being around her and she's not verbally abusive but so did you ever live with your last girlfriend not not like in between years long the long termer um not officially she lived with me for all of covid but it was because she kind of like guilted her way into staying with me and my friends I don't know, man. Um, after in the relationship I'm currently in, I just can't imagine doing long distance. But again, like I did long distance in a relationship that didn't work out. So who knows? Maybe it could have gone well, but I just didn't enjoy long distance. I won't try and do it again. Hopefully, if this current relationship works out, I will never do it again. So, you know. Yeah, I can say this. I came back Wednesday. So now it's been a week and a day and I'm like, not a fan. Yeah, you miss you miss Aubrey's girlfriend. I do miss Aubrey's girlfriend. I'm sure Aubrey's girlfriend misses her boyfriend too. Well, so. and that's another thing is I think my experience is probably a little skewed because I did long distance from Florida to California with my ex. But I mean, by all metrics possible, that was not really a functional relationship. So I don't know how I'd feel about being long distance now that's, that I'm in a functional relationship. That's that's the truth. I mean, like we blame a lot of stuff on either long distance or like different circumstances. Oh, of our relationship, relationship worked until we weren't long distance. That's when it fell apart. Until you weren't long distance. Yeah, it was way easier to kind of just be like, okay. But that's and the thing you is just you hit can, the highlights when you're together. Yeah, exactly. No, and you don't have time for the lowlights. I did nine months of long distance, and but it was kind of cool because we didn't have any of the big problems, and it was only once I was with her, woke up next to her, I realized, oh my goodness, I will never marry you, and that's a problem. It was like... But yeah, anyway, continue that thought. Oh, we were talking so you about woke up next to her and said, oh fuck, this is bad no yeah so i mean i woke up next to her and i realized basically with my values her values what she wants for the future what i want for the future i'm like oh we will never get married 
because it will never be stable. We will never be aiming for the same things. What were those like key incompatibilities that you saw? Um, one is religion. It didn't it didn't become as important to me as it is until much, much later. But being compatible as far as religion as far as far as core religious beliefs i'm not talking about like you know catholic versus episcopalian versus whatever but like belief in god right yeah belief in what marriage is because let's be honest like marriage to a lot of people is whatever but like marriage if you're a christian is a purely it's a religious thing right it's a purely religious ceremony and it would kind of be a joke to me if I went to my wedding and my wife was, you know, making quote unquote vows to a God that she doesn't believe in or whatever. It doesn't give me a whole lot of confidence in the marriage. Right. Well, not to mention, I mean, I think uh, for most people, marriage is really just a tax incentive and a somewhat loose binding arrangement that you will be exclusive with each other. At least uh, the way I understand it and the way I think it should be is that marriage is kind of a commitment. It's like, I'm not going to get kind out of, of this because I'm not really vibing with it anymore. It's like my commitment was to you in your good times. My commitment is still here in the bad times. Like, but you take out that religious aspect and it's kind of just like, I'll be here as long as the vibes are good. Well, yeah. And I mean, like, it's it's kind of ridiculous because they call it vows, right? When you when you say your vows to another individual, it, these are supposed to be binding contracts and specifically like, yeah, they're legally binding. You know, if you've ever been through a gosh darn divorce, you know, it's horrible to have to deal with the government. But more than that, it's spiritually binding in pretty much any religion you look at Islam, Christianity, even like Hindu cultures, all have some kind of like spiritually binding it's not you're not making vows to no one right yeah you're making promises that are meant to be kept you know yeah and obviously i think that's kind of something that's arisen in our generation is yeah i'll be your friend until it see, stops being advantageous to me or i'll start stop being your friend if you know it starts becoming more work than i think it's worth like in a way that's kind of titrated its way into the marriage construct. Titrated. It's a good word. I like it. Thank you. It's trickled down into marriage. I mean, like any relationship. Well, I was going to say that I think that um, the flippancy with which our generation and really like, I don't know, millennials generation that's sort of above us. I guess, Ben, you'd be you'd be millennial right i think i just missed the cutoff i believe it's i've heard some cutoffs uh some people assume that it cuts off in 97 some assume it cuts off in 95 uh if it's 97 i'm in if it's 95 i'm out either way i think we're all three kind of on the buffer we're not really solidly planted in one or the other yeah we're straddling regardless we're not gen x so we're in like that different pool and i'll say like a lot of the 30 year olds i talk to and stuff they're all in these relationships where they've been with their girlfriend for five six years not married and sometimes talk about oh maybe we'll like get married but they already live together they're already you know 
in every way basically married just haven't taken the vows haven't gone through this like the hullabaloo essentially yeah and i think i think that is just like indicative of how flippantly we think about marriage where it's just like well i like i want you to finish your sentence but real quick my uh, right off the dome uh first impression of that is is that actually i think millennials are the last people who think marriage actually is important because a couple years younger than us i know a bunch of kids who are married and divorced already and they're like 20 i do know a bunch of married and divorced inside whereas i think the kind of hesitancy to get married is kind of based on an assumption of more it being more important as opposed to hey let's get married and see if it works they're like i don't want to get married and not find out it works but i I do think one thing though is like you're still like it's kind of like why buy the cow when you get the milk for free that analogy yeah like it's way more comfortable i'm sure to just leave the door open that at any time you could be out of there. And I think that's like the weak fabric of a long-term girlfriend, boyfriend situation. Like obviously when you're like a lot younger and you want to delay or wait to get married until, you know, you're in your mid twenties or something because either, you know, it's financially not viable or you can't buy a home together or you're, you know, in school, there's things separating you. Like it doesn't make sense logistically. I like, I kind of understand that, but when you're already like we bought a house together we yeah. rent an apartment together and we have for four or five years like but we're still refusing to get married it's like i think a lot of that comes from just like well it's easier if we just leave the door open and i from that foundation i think it's really hard to plan for the future when neither of you have like made the vows that jonah's talking about to each other and said like hell or high water like i'm not going anywhere yeah and i think that's kind of the whole purpose of marriage is that becomes a foundation that you can actually build something on whereas without that it's all kind of just sweet nothings it's like you know i can dip whenever you can dip whenever whereas with marriage it's like shit you get ugly i'll still be here oh shit yeah you get in a car crash and need someone to take care of you i'll still be here also like it's renting versus owning, right? You never wash a rental when you take it back to the car <laughs> rental place. Oh, you know, absolutely. you take that thing back to Hertz, you're never going to wash it. And it's like, that's how I think people treat someone who they've only been dating for years. It's like, I don't have to see the darkest side of you. I don't need to address your inner demons because I don't have to fix you. Ultimately, I can leave and switch to a new model, you know? Yeah, well, and also I think it's actually uh, trying to figure out how to say this without sounding like a piece of shit, but from a purely economic standpoint in sexual economy, it makes sense for women to want to get married. You mean women probably put a higher emphasis on getting married? No, meaning that marriage almost in all parts of that equation benefits the female in divorce and in marriage Mm -hmm. so in marriage it's like Mm -hmm. because like 
if your dude ends up being successful, he can upgrade to the next model if he really wants to. You know what I mean? I don't think that's a good idea, but I'm saying like in a completely moral free world, that's what's going to happen. I think I kind of understand what you're saying with this um, because, you know, the thing about it is, is like a lot of women when they grow, grow up, they want to have kids and whatnot. But kids like from a pure, purely economic standpoint are complete liabilities, right? And yes. without some kind of like stable oh marriage if i divorce this guy he's on the hook for child support like or like if i'm married to this guy there's some support there's some protection there's at least like some some benefit that nuclear family structure it it, it makes no sense to have a kid i think everyone wants to but like it's it's pure liability unless you have a system in place to raise them yeah like i think the main purpose of marriage is to create a stable foundation for kids yeah <clears throat> but uh, kind of going back to that point that i was kind of harebrainedly making um but like if you think about it marriage is you lock down <clears throat> one partner for life unless it's open which at that point i don't even know why you call it a marriage um and then when <clears throat> when shit gets hard, you know, like the man is almost always going to be the one who gets fucked. The kids go to the man or to the woman nine times out of ten. Um, you know, half your income, if the dude's the only guy working, half the income. Um, you know what I mean? It's like, so I think in a certain extent, there's a lot of men who are looking at that equation and being like, I don't see how that's a good math there for me at all. Um, which I can kind of understand, but like, I don't know. I can't think of a more lonely thing than to still be dating in your forties. No, I think it's something that everyone wants to, a lot of people want to do, but the thing about it is, is that there's so much liability as a guy going into marriage that it's it's so high risk that you have to be sure like a hundred percent sure yeah and like i've i've been with girls that i love love desperately man but when it comes to the high risk idea of marriage and do i i'm like oh i'm gonna bet my entire net worth and my entire life's work on this relationship working out and once the answer was no it was time to it was time to try again like try to time to roll the dice again you know yeah. well and also i guess that kind of comes down to what your definition of workout is if it's like you can find something functional it's not necessarily like the best thing after a while it's not the best thing that ever happened to you you know whatever but like with marriage you have to choose it over and over and over and over again i think like the <clears throat> main example of not working out is divorce like at, at the end of the day, you know, there, there's plenty of couples that go in out, you know, like rough times, whatever hit the skids, but you know, divorces, like at the end of the day, government deems you guys are separate, done finito and divorce, at least from a Christian perspective is also like done finito, even though it's a little bit more finicky from a Christian perspective. I'm I'm curious, do you guys think the idea of the one is a 
romantic notion that will like ultimately leave you unfulfilled, less satisfied? Or do you think that there like there actually is somebody who you could call like the one out there? Like your soulmate, you know? Um here's the thing is I think in general <clears throat> I haven't met someone where and I've met I've like I have like some bros who are like soulmates, you know what I mean? Where mm-hmm. we just like click. And I have some gals who are soulmates in my life. But the idea that soulmate and attraction coincides, I gotta think the you know, chances of that are pretty low. Not that I'd be willing to settle, but more so I just I don't know you kind of decide it's like yeah there's certain things we don't mesh on but that's okay and we'll work through that but i don't know that there's ever going to be the one and even if there was a one in a million that still means there's like what (laughs) eight thousand of them on the planet well i always thought like in the west we get to you know date court choose our partner and we marry for love right yeah versus uh, there's other societies like the classic stereotype is the indian family that has arranged marriages yeah where it makes sense economically the parents are decided that you two will be married and i think the rates of divorce are much lower and if you pull marriage satisfaction, they tend to be much higher. Mm-hmm. And maybe that has more to do with religious values or cultural values and, you know, their emphasis of the importance of marriage. But like there is a piece of me that wonders, like, is it an actual disservice to us young people looking for a spouse or looking for a partner? And we're out there and we're like, oh, I got to like. Like, I need to date a bunch of people and eventually I'll find like a good one, but not just a good one. I need to find the one. And I'm always in the back of my mind going to wonder if I chose right versus an arranged marriage. The choice was taken from you. Yeah. So you just you have your partner. It's it's more about your community and everyone around you than it is about you and that person. And you learn to love each other. Yeah. Oof. That's a really interesting point. because. Like, are are we better off or are we missing something? It might be one of those things that is interesting, but like, as soon as you brought up the Indian marriage, the arranged marriage, the thing that you couldn't get out of or whatever, it brought up my idea of, you know, in my experience, I've, there was a couple of times where I, I went through a few relationships before I realized, oh, if I'm not having a great time, it does not mean the relationship is not working. Yeah. Right. We have, we have this, you know, notion that happiness needs to, you know, we, we need to be happy. Happiness is like the be all end all. That's what you should chase. You should be happy like more than half of the time. Otherwise you're not doing anything right. And as soon as I realized, Oh, well, you know, like these relationships are good. So long as you know, it does, it, happiness is not a core requirement of a relationship, like of a good relationship. And I think that as soon as like you get into a situation where, oh, I might not be like 100 percent happy with my bride, but she's my bride 
and I can't leave. And all of a sudden, I this is my the hand that I've been dealt. This is my bride. I need to make it better. Yeah. And yet so many people don't have that mentality, you know? No, because it's a very instant gratification. It's like the second this stops being something that I don't have to put effort into and I get a free blowjob every night after I get home from work, I'm out. Mm -hmm. Whereas like marriage is supposed to be like a relationship where both of you care to better each other every day and where even at rock bottom, there's still the undergirding assumption that there is no option for an out yeah that's one of those things man i think that trying to it's a lost art form much like making a classic old-fashioned in the way intended it's it's a change in mentality is what it is well yeah because now it's if the second it stops serving me Mm -hmm. i'm out whereas before it was i'm going to serve you until i die and the the wife serves the husband, the husband serves the wife. So it's this like cycle of service. Whereas now it's service. Give me service. I want service. Yeah. Oh, you're not going to service me. I am out. It's like, ask not what your wife can do for you, <laughs> but what you can do for your wife <laughs> in this century. Oh my God, dude. We'll do this thing and the other thing. Yeah, not because it was easy, but because because it was was hard. hard. (laughs) Listen here, honey. I need you to stop asking how your husband can serve you and start asking how you can serve this hard one. (laughs) Ask not to be for easier times. Ask to be better men. (laughs) Zombies. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks, Churchill. I think the intro. No, that was not <laughs> Churchill. That, that was JFK. That was JFK. Oh, the God intro God for this it. episode officially now needs to be the uh, intro to um, the uh, zombies map where they're in the White House bunker with Castro and mm. JFK. Oh, yeah. Zombies, <sighs> gentlemen, lock and load. <laughs> Hey, um, I gotta ask you a question. What's up? I've got these headphones on. Um, have you ever been made aware of the fact that you squeak randomly? No way. What? Yeah. I'm not. I'm not joking. Okay, hold on. Like mimic what? What I sound like? Yeah. Yeah. I actually. Actually, kind of sounds like you're shitting. I actually bit. do sound like I'm dying at a given point. Uh, at some points, maybe maybe it is just like the alcohol getting to my liver. Maybe I'm just gonna like. I feel bad for this audience now, who's for the rest of the podcast just gonna listen for squeaks. Yeah, please do. <laughs> they like. Maybe I'll have to listen to the whole thing and put in a squeak counter. I hey don't want to do that. If you if you count the squeaks and uh, get it accurate. Uh, Free old fashioned. That's like when you've noticed the Tump, Donnie Tumpster sniffing his mic. And all of a sudden it's like, or like Biden sniffing a child in every press conference. That's less audible though, and more of just a, still, oh, he got caught on the camera. camera. There's, yeah. there's like a minute and a half compilation of every sniff from one debate that Donnie did with Biden, and he's just like, <laughs> Hillary, <laughs> Hillary, I swear to God. Because you'd be in jail. Yeah, you'd be in fucking jail. Prison. 
This mic's totally useless. You just did it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God damn. (laughs) It took me forever to figure out who was doing that. I was like, yeah, just I saw, watching I saw those darting eyes, like, and I was like, it's not me, dude. That's, just one, dude that's just one of those things that... The anachronisms. Yeah, something that I do. Wait, just, do for, just do the arm thing. What arm thing? The arm thing. Oh, this. Oh, 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 oh. For, for those of you who don't know, I have incredibly flexible arms. Ugh. My my boy Julian would just sit in class and rest his palm on his chest. Oh yeah. After yeah. after routing his arm all the way back and around his head. He's currently doing it right now, and I do have to say, uh, it is quite impressive. I feel like it used to be better. NBA, I, I think I got bigger shoulders. I think it's harder to do. Yeah, he got built. That could yeah. be. Also, there's more muscle. You've been hitting the gym, right? It, it, dude, this is all shaking cocktails this is a hundred percent the shake weight diet you can definitely say yeah he's he's a coxman i do do the gym probably once a week but like it's like that adds over time though but also like how many like what you shake weight a basically (laughs) five pound weight a thousand times a night yeah so let's say like let's let's say basically i put together a hundred and thirty cocktails a night let's say like more than half of those are shaken. So let's say like, let's say like 75 of those are shaken. And that's like three to four pounds. Every time I pick one of those suckers up, most of the time I'm double shaking them. So it's like, yeah, like it's like 30 sets of 10 minute intensive exercise. It's 10 second intensive exercise. Not to mention all the squatting, all the pickups, all the moving stuff, like, but like I mean, I, can't, I need to get a fucking Apple watch so I can track how many steps I get in every night. Oh, because I I'd venture to guess we're probably walking like 10 or so miles a night. Yeah, no, no doubt. Um, and bartending is one of those. It, like if you bartend, like if you shake. Like everyone I've seen who shakes. Eventually, you develop like a chest. Eventually, you develop chest because it is like a push and pull motion away from your body so yeah yeah just one of those things the other day i was making um i was making six seven um green tea shots yeah they're fully poured uh shaker sealed i was giving them a good what fur above the shoulder you know i was doing the front and back shake Mm -hmm. and um I always go like shake, 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 shake. And so I go together and then I switch to alternating and then I go one back and then down. Yep. So I do my one back, which is my last shake. And I hear. Oh, no. Dude, dump it out your back, dude. (laughs) Fucking eight ounces of cold liquor just poured (laughs) all over me. My shirt was soaked through. You could see my nipples through it. It was all down my back. Atta boy. And um, I felt nasty. Um, I felt violated. Yeah. I couldn't trust my tins mm-hmm. anymore. Um, but uh, I just threw on a sweatshirt and yeah. took the shirt off. But 
at the end of the day, tins are one of those things that like in the high echelons of bartending, everyone will debate over tins, which is hilarious to me. Uh, the big um, argument at my bar in Denver when I left, it was Pinas versus Coricos. And I'll tell you what, like if you want to build some shoulders, shake Pinas because those things are tanks. They are also like a pound heavier. Like, damn. Or just shake a Ramos every day until you die. I mean, <laughs> I had this lady come in and order two different Ramoses. She ordered three Ramoses, and I'm like, that'll be $20 if you want it. I'm slammed, right? She's like, cool. I want it. I'm like, awesome. So I go and make a Ramos, and I don't even take my time with it. I just shake, 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 go. And then I'm like, this looks like crap, but I'm going to send it. And so I like, like break well it didn't look like crap it was nice but it was not the it was not my best work right i bring it out there and she's thrilled she's like oh my god i haven't had one of these in like 10 years and she was like i had a great time those are great and i'm like huh maybe i should just like charge 20 dollars for gin fizzes and see if i can get away with it you should just charge 20 bucks for gin and lemon juice i mean they're like triple the labor in terms of time <laughs> i remember um in my small little budding bar career as a bar back, um, I had a bartender come over to me. Amazing guy. We'll call him JF for the sake of the story. Uh, but JF comes over to me and he's just like, hey, shake this. And I'm like, there's nothing in here. And he's like, no, 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 there's an ice cube in there. And I'm like, one ice cube? What do you? He said, like, just shake it. And so I start shaking and I look at him and he's right next to me because we're like shoulder to shoulder in this bar. And I'm like, so when do I stop? And he's like, when you don't hear ice anymore. And that's like the long, the long and hard way to make a Ramos. If you want to make a Ramos at home, lemon, lime juice, cream, sugar, gin, egg white. Put, in, put an ice cube in there, like a one by one ice cube. Shake that thing until it's gone, which takes a long time it takes you about like eight minutes it's of just hard shaking like even if you shatter it against the walls of it it takes a long time for that all to dissolve well because you're you're making whipped cream you're making whipped cream basically. so if anybody's ever tried to hand whip heavy cream into whipped cream should takes a minute now imagine doing that in your cocktail shaker like, i'm gonna come in next time you're slammed and order five of those by the way the worst i've ever heard um was a guy who came in um, there was a couple who came in on New Year's. I wasn't there, but it was the New Year's before I started working there. And apparently their tradition is to come in on New Year's and order a Ramos each during a completely full bar and just do that. And Ramos there needs to be like a machine you can just put a sealed tin in and it'll auto shake. Oh, so Ramos, um, you could literally just throw that in and call good. In New Orleans, there's a um, I don't know the bar off the top of my head, but there is a bar that is known for the Ramos and they have paint mixers that are repurposed to hold cocktail shakers. And they literally build your Ramos, put it in the tin, put it into their refurbished paint mixer and just turn on the machine and just let it go. See, that's what you need. That are like a very, very devoted barback whose only job is to shake until his arms fall off. Well, you know, the legend goes is that Ramos is uh, the way they used to build them is you would just 
the bartender would build it. He would just hand it at the first guy at the bar and then be like, shake this until you're tired and hand it to the next guy down the bar. And then we'll serve it when it gets down to that end of the bar. So it would go through like 14 people shaking until they're tired. Why don't you do that? That would be a nice little. Uh... Next time, next time I get Ramos. <laughs> next time he's got 14 barbacks. Yeah. Next time. Well, I mean, not barbacks. You no, hand it to you the hand customer. It to the patrons. Yeah. And I think that'd be fun. Like if I, if I have a, if I have a, you know what? If Only I do, thing though is like egg whites can sometimes pop your tins as they expand. That's the other thing is is that like when it comes to like shaking, you if if you ever spill a drink on a guest, that's like that that's that's emergency number one. That's like that's like all all hands on deck. You fucked up. You're probably comping that bill. You know, like so most of the time. I try and keep the drinks on my side, and then once I hand it to you, it's your your game. Yeah, I always <clears throat> I always feel conflicted when a guest like spills their drink and then asks for another, and I'm like, I didn't do that, but also, kind of sucks for you. I think it's a, I think it's a mixture of both. I've gone through um, both sides of the thing where I have comped a drink and I have made someone pay for another one. I've, I've done both. Yeah, it kind of depends on the attitude of the guest. Right. Well, it, it depends on attitude. And another uh, another part of it is like you should probably be cut off kind of because I've been in situations where people, you know, spilling and whatever and they're like sloppy and I'm like, you should probably be cut off. But I will tell you what, I will make you one more drink but you have to pay for it and most people after that will be like oh no i don't want to do that you know or whatever but oh that's a good call i might have to use that one oh I've, except I've, most of the people have spilled drinks in our bar stone cold sober straight in off the street yeah yeah and that at that point it will be like there's a lot too i think we're like it like if i saw the table or the there was a known table that's shaky i'd be like all right the yeah. napkin moved or whatever it is that keeps that table steady yeah. is gone. And then their drink just goes and like half of it slops out, you know, yeah. I'd want to make them another one. I don't know. I, I And that's like where I would comp one. That's where I would comp one because it's on the restaurant's fault. But there, I mean, there have been some situations where we're in the middle of 86 and someone we're in the middle of like trying to get them to leave. Like someone, <laughs> our, our boy comes in from next door and tells us hey you know there's a there's a lady blowing one of your guests in the bathroom oh great they're gone is there a way is there like a signal to tell you like yo cut that guy off i mean i just most of the time when you are bartending your well is right next to another person's well or you have a bar back that's running right behind you so most of the time like our space is pretty confined right like the, our space back there is not that confined we're pretty no, like, like what if a customer wants to tell you like dude cut this guy off because you can't supervise the whole bar as I well mean, as like but i take every order so like me and me or my fellow bartender takes every order and what you're supposed to be doing is you're supposed to be watching understanding monitoring someone's speech and then make your best judgment i've missed some cutoffs before i think every bartender has but you're supposed to be watching for that that being said, I have had times where my fellow bartender, she'll come over and like 
KP will come over and like tap me on the shoulder and she'll be like, hey, um, we are not serving that guy anymore. And at that point, it's like, it's not my call. It's like, as soon as one bartender's made the call, it's like, all right, we're done. You know, it's, it's over. Because the biggest thing about bartending is you are serving a dangerous substance, right? Yeah. Someone doesn't know how to control themselves on it. It is on you to make sure that that person doesn't hurt themselves or help someone else. You know? Can somebody explain why a patron deciding to do coke in the bathroom is the bar's fault? Uh, That's something that cops kind of just throw at the bar to keep them from letting that happen. Because if a patron's doing coke in the bathroom, the bartenders who allowed that are the ones who are also equally liable for those actions. It's one of those things where you don't want one of those things happening on your premises. Just period. Right? So like someone doing coke in the bathroom someone doing a public sexual act in the back room bathroom whatever things happen people try and get away with stuff it's just not allowed because at the end of the day if you're trying to pull that stuff you are probably not going to make me that much money and you're probably not the kind of person i want coming back here anyways you know at the end of the day i am totally okay losing that three percent of the business that comes in and tries to push the boundaries because at the end of the day i don't want people coming in pushing my buttons i want you to come in drink have a good time get the fuck out and tip well yeah always tip your bartenders everybody yes yes ladies also if you say i can't afford a tip you couldn't afford a drink in the first place save your money well also build the tip into whatever you're budgeting for spending exactly yeah do not disclude tip and also Tip is not optional if you're like, oh, my bartender was mean. Unless they do something like horrific to you. You're going to tip them. Yeah. Yeah. That's just it is not actually like a representation of their service. If you don't want to tip, go make yourself some goddamn drinks at home. Like save yourself a lot of money. That's like one of those things is like, I don't want to sound like. You know, I deserve like bartenders deserve anything, but they do, you know, and it's like 20% is 20% is enough to pay my like if everyone tipped 20%, that's enough to pay my rent, right? That's enough. That's that's enough to like pay my rent and continue going on life as I as I am, right? Um, And so if you thought you got great service, oh, I got great service. I'm going to tip 20%. Just know that's the benchmark. That's like the standard that you should be giving to any Joe Blow server, you know. I thought 15 was customary. Uh so 10 is you did the bare minimum. 15 is you did the bare minimum well and 20% or above is like I fuck with you. I don't know. I in the years I've been bartending, and maybe this is just a me thing, but the years I've been bartending, my tip percentage has never dropped a low 19. Like I've always been above average. Even here? Even here. Yeah. I don't know. I Like, there's some tables that I'll be waiting. And based on certain key demographic uh, brackets that they're in, I can tell that I won't be tipped at all. Dude, the most insulting thing is when you just round up to the nearest dollar. That's the funniest thing. Oh, yeah. Thing like a 69 cent tip. Yeah, absolutely. Your, your, your bill was 1770. 
they just round up to eighteen dollars. Yeah, like thirty cents. Thanks. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. <laughs> I will say thing. I get slightly annoyed when I get the card and it flips around and it just says twenty. 25 30 what would you like to tip and i'm like it's so much effort to put in a new amount and they're sitting there standing behind you that's why i never look at my guests when they're tipping yeah no i never do it either but i know it's the big like drop i know it's the greatest scam on earth i know that when people see 20 as the first tip option they just hit it I, even though they probably would have hit 15 or whatever. We need to update our iPads if that's the first option people are seeing. Because in our bar, the first option they see is like 10%. Yeah, your, your first option should be 15 down there. Well, I'm going to go experiment with that and make the lowest option 20%. Hey, man. I mean... Yeah, if tip revenues jump by a massive amount, you should just track it dude, very closely for that, the next. Those square weeks. systems that only give you three tip options and they're like all astronomical. I understand it's the biggest scam on earth, but also, like, if if you really do need a tip lower, yeah, the options right there, man. I like, I like, yeah, but I gotta manually type it in, and it's very clear as soon as I'm not clicking one option and just handing it back. Also, like, there's so many people who will be like, "I'm not tipping because I don't believe in tipping." I'm like, "Okay, then don't eat out because that's how it works here. Because we get paid way below minimum wage, and the reason we get paid way below minimum wage is because the business wouldn't exist if they had to pay us at the restaurant. Minimum. I, at the restaurant I worked at before I worked at um, where I work now. We had an all-inclusive model, so it was called a, it was called a service charge, but they would throw like, it was they would throw a twenty-two percent service charge just on the bill. Yeah, gratuity. Right, it was just a gratuity, and then people would ask like, "Oh, can we tip you on top of that?" And we always said yes, right? But then we had this seminar on how we shouldn't be accepting tips beyond that, and how tipping is racist. Yeah, that sounds like something. People would say, dude, it was a, it was a whole seminar. What did they say that was racist about tipping? I'm kind of so their argument, which was kind of wild. So their argument as to why tipping is racist is once upon a time in God knows where they, they didn't cite anything, but they just were like, once upon a time, it was very common for white people to work in the front of the house and black people to work in the back of the house. And that's when tipping was invented to benefit the white people. And I'm like, that's a very circumstantial, like tipping has existed in the service industry since the beginning of time. I just, if someone like, isn't tipping pretty unheard of though in Europe? Yeah, they, they did away with it. But like even back in feudal times, like if someone did a good service, you'd like toss a coin on the ground for them. It's also just one of those things where like they're like, oh, tipping's, you know, tipping is rooted in race in, like in racism. OK, cool. So you're going to take away, you know, tips from my black bartenders back here because people once upon a time, generations ago may have happened to suffer from it. Honestly, the. <laughs> the genesis of that whole dynamic probably came when some purple haired girl went to a restaurant she couldn't afford and didn't want to tip. And then she got bitched out for not tipping. And then she said, well, tipping is racist. And she made up the story right then. <laughs> it's just 
Or okay. some soy boy. I don't really want to throw this at one gender here. That could be any weak human. This happens all the time, though, where it's like, oh, yeah, everyone has to suffer for this because everyone has to suffer, including the people we are trying to help because people suffered a long time ago. Yeah. I'm like, well, what? OK, quick question. If there were no tips allowed, like the let's say they were banned. Every restaurant, every restaurant would be forced to pay their bartenders twenty five dollars an hour at least, which would mean <clears throat> that most of those restaurants would cease to exist or vastly cut their staff down. But also in Europe, they don't not have tips. They have VAT included. Yeah. So it's, there's an autograt and you can tip on top of that. Yeah. So, I mean, okay, so th this is where I think tipping makes sense. It's like you're you make money based on your performance. Well, your performance, but also the throughput of a restaurant or bar. It's how many drinks did you serve? How many people came in and wanted to it turns get service versus if they paid you an hourly wage? And you're working, you know, a slammer on New Year's. You're not thinking of it like, oh, I'm making way more on New Year's because I'm going to get tipped out and it's going to be awesome. Instead, you're just thinking, oh, New Year's sucks and I want the everyday to be slow. Bartending. Yeah. Bartending is fundamentally independent. Like it's it's like you're basically a, a salesman. It's like being a barber, right? Yeah. You you work within a system. And yeah, said barber will like, yeah, technically you work for said barber, but you are making however much money you happen to be putting into the business. So if I make the business X amount of money and I make like an 18% tip revenue, yeah, it's beneficial for the restaurant because I'm bringing them in money. And on top of that, I get a cut of said money that's coming in. It's it. It makes sense. It incentivizes it just, good service, essentially. Tipping is basically tipping is basically the same as salesmanship. It's just that the customer is paying me my commission as opposed to the restaurant having to calculate what my commission is and paying that out to me. Yeah, because I will say, like, somebody works at a high volume place, you know, good for them. They're going to get tipped a lot. And if you work at some place that's slow, like then that wage that you can be paid is like ridiculous because we should experiment with autograt. I mean, I don't think it's necessarily such a bad idea. I do think because it just that is one less thing that the customer has to worry about. I just think that I it, honestly prefer gratuities at places I go and just have a warning when you walk into the restaurant that this is a gratuity establishment. 20% will be added to your bill or just let them know that the prices reflect the gratuity. Yeah, no, I mean, I, it I wouldn't just think be that it, hard to up the prices on the menu by a little bit, 20% on all of them. So they all include gratuity. Yeah, no, I mean, it's not a bad idea. And what it worked at the restaurant that I worked at, the only problem is, is that it confused people or even like there were some people who were frustrated by it, which you at the end of the day, you can't please everyone. You know, some people just are hell bent on tipping what they think is appropriate or whatever. You take the power out of their hands. But at the end of the day, you know, like at the end of the day, either option 
has its pros and cons. I don't think that autograt. I think that actually probably America is moving towards an auto gratuity system, like just having that as an option. But I'm not sure. We should do it because we have some bum ass people who come in. Although, I mean, getting a dollar, yeah, fucking, I don't know. <clears throat> who knows, man? I really don't. Also, I wish our gratuities on the app would include stuff that people were getting for buy one, get one free, because like that cuts our tips in half, too. Right. And we're still making double the drinks. Happy hours are wild. Happy hours are one of those things where it's. You have to you have to do it if it improves your covers, right? It's all about the math. You know, it's all about the bar math. If it improves your covers, because I mean, you're already making so much money on a bottle of liquor. A bottle of liquor is like. Uh, you probably pay for that thing the first three shots. Yeah. There's like, what, 17 shots in there and you pay for it in the first three? Probably pay for labor in the next two. Dude, one way I know you can always make someone's day, like, like turn their night around. Yeah. Go to like an ice cream shop on a weekday after hours or whatever for that person who's like getting ready to close or you know maybe an hour before close so you're not annoying but like order a little bowl of ice cream tip 10 bucks five bucks even yeah. and they're literally gonna like they will scream because most people do not tip for ice cream or whatever else you know and i just remember i did that for this gal because i i used to budget into my like monthly budget money to give away mm-hmm. And so I remember I got to the end of the month and I was like, oh, shit, I still have like 30 bucks I got to get rid of. And so I just went into an ice cream shop, like got ice cream for me and this gal I was dating at the time. It was just like, yeah, here's 10 bucks, you know. And the girl, I just remember she was like, oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't believe it. Someone the other day tipped me $140 on a glass of water. That's kind of sick. Yeah. Because I'd been chatting with him and there was this one bitch who came up after we did last call and tried to order drinks. And I said, we called last call 20 minutes ago. And she's like, I've been waiting to order for 30 minutes. And I was like, then how come you didn't hear us call last call and say order at the bar? And she's just like, I can't fucking believe it. And I was like, if you are not okay with call drinks or shots, you can always leave. And she's like, oh, I know I can leave. And I was like, then leave. <laughs> and like, you know, I'm a fucking nice guy. So like, I didn't say it that way, but that's basically, I said those exact words, but in a much nicer tone, like, it's okay. I mean, if you don't want what we have, you can always leave, you know, like something like that. That's awesome. <laughs> and literally this dude was just watching this all go down. That is the dude, that and is afterwards, this- he's like, Yo, can you ring me up for like a glass of water? I was like, I can't do that. We don't have a button for that. He's like, okay, well, give me a, let me buy you a shot then. And I was like, okay. And I poured a shot. I had it. It was like literally the end of shift. So that was my shifty as far as I was concerned. And he was like, all right, uh, you got that right. I want to close out. And he leaves one four zero zero on a $3 shot, basically. Mm Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be fourteen dollars? One four zero zero. Zero. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes. What if he meant to do fourteen bucks? Yeah. That's like a no, nice no. gesture. I was like, holy shit. I was like, uh, dude, that's 140. He's like, I know. 
but I just want to pass on the blessing. You've been a blessing to me. And I was like, God damn. God damn. Unfortunately, I have to share that blessing with everyone else on staff, but okay. <laughs> I think um, the wildest, oh man, wildest tipping story. Well, actually, one of my favorites um, shouts to Bob. Uh, but uh, there's a dude at my Starbucks. So my Starbucks back when I was like, in college trying to do bartending coffee and college and not flunk out of college that did not go well by the way uh but you know i was i was trying to do it all um there was a guy who would come into my starbucks his name was bob and bob has severe schizophrenia so like bob would just talk to himself see things whatever like bob was on his own plane of existence basically at all times uh but the he wasn't a danger to anyone so the nursing staff would let him out of the hot out of the uh assisted, ward yeah i let him out of the assisted living home that he was in all the time saying asylum <laughs> no he was not in, he was not in an asylum he just he just had bad schizophrenia and he was he was he was old he's he was like on death's door man so bob every day would come in he would try and remember what he would order he'd get frustrated and they'd point at me and be like you know what I get. I'm like, I do know what you get. And I would make it for him. And then for the rest of the day or for his rest of as long as he was up. So like for the next four, five hours, he would just walk around the area. And this is kind of a sketchy area of town. He would just walk around the area. And then every once in a while, he would come back in and all the new people would be like, oh, my God, we got to make that drink again. And I'm like, nope, no, you don't. And they're like, what do you mean? And Bob would just come in and drop whatever spare change he found on his walk into our tip jar point at me randomly and then walk right back out just muttering to himself <laughs> it's the weirdest dude ever he probably like like the entire year and a half i was there he probably like tipped us maybe like 15 bucks but like that's just what he spent his day doing he's, he's like oh i got a drink and then i'm just gonna go find spare change to drop oh, that's kind of cool no nah, dude i mean like Nice dude. My favorite guy. Also, probably dead now. Like, yeah. You know, I think about it. <clears throat> um, there was one time it was just me and D at the mm -hmm. bar. Uh, it was a slow day because it was like a Thursday. Yeah. This dude came in, had like a drink, two drinks, and, you know, it was dead. So D and I were literally just chilling and talking to this guy for like, uh, I don't know, hour and a half, two hours. Yeah. And um, it got busy towards the end, so I started going back on the floor. Um, but uh, he started to leave, and um, I was behind the bar, like, getting water glasses, because this is before we did the whole you-get-your-own-water thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's like, yo, Ben. And I was like, what's up? And he's like, pulls out, like, a wad of hundreds. He's like, this is for you, and this is for you. And he gave, like, $100 each to me and D. That's kind of wild. I, I don't cash, too. Yeah, dude. That's freaking nutty. I love cash tips just because then I, like, I use that as, like, my spending cash, basically. Because then I don't actually have to touch my bank account. I can just save. I almost never swipe my card nowadays, man. It's pretty wild. Like... Although it is like I do have to keep a pretty tight track of how much cash money I have and put some back at the end of the year so I can pay taxes on it. But that's a slight annoyance for all the convenience. I think it's just it's written into your paychecks 
kind of they just assume 10 percent of sales yeah so oh so they already taxed me on that yeah oh bad they just assume 10 percent of sales looks like i'm gonna be getting a little extra back in my tax return this year then because oh, i paid yes. tax on cash too dude i'm getting a bunch back this year oh nice flex all right hey when is tax no i didn't miss it very April much 15th though. or march 15th no, no, but that's what I'm saying. I, I made pretty much nothing and I'm still getting pretty much nothing back, even though I got I got a pretty healthy chunk of money ripped out of my uh, paycheck. Oh, wow. Well, I, oh, I was doing they hit me with that Social Security. They hit me with that fucking local tax, that fucking federal tax, that fucking. That reminds me, what kind of jobs have you hold, held this year, Aubrey? I was a. I was a lieutenant doing training. So that was basically four months of time spent just grinding away, learning, you know, soul crushing boredom. But it was good. They paid me to be out there full time, like LT pay, which I, I couldn't tell you exactly what it was. But I think. It was more money than I'd ever seen like prior to that in my life because I'd done a lot of service jobs and stuff. And then this was the first one where it was like you're on a salary and then on top of that, you're making a basic housing allowance or basic allowance for housing. So BAH and they were paying me out whatever the Meridian cost of living was. Yeah. So it's like whatever the cost of owning a home or like like renting for most people is Jesus. So that was like an additional salary essentially paid out on top of it. And I don't know, I, I probably, it was probably something close to like 38 or four, like 45 a month or something while I was down there. And that's where I was like saying on my tax return this year, though, I'm getting a bunch back because the government, when they pay you out, takes a lot of payroll deductions but then throughout the rest of the year, I went on orders a few times. So I had some full-time work there. I took time off work to study for my exams. Yeah. So I was relatively unemployed for a while. And then I did resab work with New Leaf. Oh, yeah. I remember when you were on that stuff. You were gone every Thursday. Um. So that, yeah, those Thursday, Friday shifts. I was working 36 hours a week. I just did it all on two days because I'd show up Thursday morning and then... I'd leave Friday evening. Yeah. And so you're on the clock the whole time taking care of participants at this company. And so that job, that was pretty good. I did that for a few months and then I took my final like finance exam and then I was actually like working. And so I just got for the first time, like paychecks related to this work and that has been my thing. So like I had, I don't know, three jobs, I guess, because there was National Guard, there was full-time active for the training, and then there was the ResHab stuff. And, nice. And there's also, or, like, orders versus, like, being on drill time. So every month I at least have drill pay and other stuff coming in, but it did not add up to a whole ton. It was basically about as much as I made in the years that I was in college and would come home for summer, work full-time, and then do work part-time during school. So. Yeah. A little bit more, but it wasn't anything absurd. That makes sense. Yep. But yeah. Like, 
you're probably in better shape than than I've been over the last few. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm not doing bad. Uh, certainly, I, I think that the big thing is is that she's trying to get on her feet. So, you know, like she's she's trying to do get everything on her feet and whatever. So, you know, but at the end of the day, things are going well. Things are going well. Life is good. Career is building. Everything's fine. Yeah, I feel like I stare into the abyss every day. <laughs> yeah, you're waiting to get your break again. Yeah, I had it. And then COVID. And now I have to get break 2.0. We'll find it. We will find it. Yeah. Nah, dude, I'm pissed. Like, fuck. It's hard not to get pissed, but I'm not a victim here. Well, Ben, I'm curious, like, what are your gigs right now? What are your... Okay, so during the week, I'm running a social media marketing company. So I do contract work with them and sales. So I get commission-based money there. Um, I'm doing Forex investment with some buddies, uh, seeing some promising returns, but nothing we can pull out of our principal investment right now. Bartending two nights a week, doing 1099 and W-2 work on as a contractor on film sets. And I'm also in the process of redesigning uh, a clothing brand currently. Busy, so, busy, busy. And I'm also in post-process on a film that I'm editing right now. And I've got an assistant editor's gig that I'm starting next week. So I do like six or seven things a week. That's some real ADHD energy right there, man. <laughs> I just do whatever I can. I yeah. just need to be productive. How, how many of those gigs, like, would you say bring in real, <laughs> real cash flow, though? Um, all of them separately. I mean, honestly, I think if I devoted, like, all my attention to one of them, I could probably be making six figures. But none of them except for filmmaking are a dream of mine. So they're all kind of just propping up filmmaking right now, which is not... It's netting me break even slash slightly in the black doing film stuff. So my hope is that at some point that'll start going more black and I'll be able to make more money doing what I actually want to be doing and then start cutting some of the auxiliaries. Yeah, what I need to be doing is I need to get into to the wedding bartending gigs because... What you, you know. need to be doing is calling me over to your bar so we can do that photo shoot that we've been talking about for months now and get your Instagram looking good so that you can red coat in Louisiana. Let's make it happen. Okay, so give me a fucking date and I'll be there. It's not Sunday. On the record. On the record. Let's do... This Wednesday. Deal. Perfect. Can I go down there? Get some headshots too. Absolutely, if you want to. How about this? I'll do your headshots in the morning on Wednesday, and then we'll go into work, and you can like be a assistant on this one because we're gonna need to like set stuff up and make it look good. And I'll do that. It's a good chance for me too to like hand out business cards and everything. Yeah, that's what so, I'm saying. There we go. Right on Wednesday. Wednesday, we're doing it. Wednesday networking day, headshot day, photos day. Making it all work. That'll be a good day. Wednesday. All right. And also, coincidentally, I think this episode will be dropping Wednesday. Wednesday. Yes, because the one with uh, Aubrey's girlfriend is dropping this Sunday. So, Wednesday it is. Wednesday it is. 
Remind me though. I'm gonna need you to text me the morning or the night before just to make sure I remember. I'm gonna make sure that that happens. Because I need I'm to have gonna, all my batteries charged. I'm also gonna clear it with upper management and everything like that. We're just gonna make it happen. Yeah, and I say we just get <laughs> to upper, get to the bar management. around like two. Yeah, that gives you three hours before open. There are three employees at your bar. I understand. I know it just cracks me up. Upper management. Yeah, I mean he the same guy manages my bar, so true. It's just funny. He is bar god. All right. Speaking of bar god, we've reached the apex of one hour and forty minutes, including remarks, Aubrey. Life's good. I feel like uh, things are more in place than they were a few months ago for each of us. Like, like shit's rolling. It's nice having uh, Ben as a roommate. That is nice. It's been a uh, major plus in my life. Yeah. Like, I feel like I'm finally getting settled having the, this space. And then with the paychecks actually coming in from my new work now, it's like, okay, like, this is the beginning of something great. I'm excited about it. I think it's a new era. We I'm need just... to do some collaborative shit, guys. Aubrey's we're all, doing good. We're all creative <laughs> and we have strengths in different avenues. Like, why are we not like doing stuff together too? Like a, a venture together. Well, I've always had this dream that in our mid thirties, we'll come back and we'll open a bar for <laughs> spot the venture capital. And then we'll build a real estate empire as well. Fair enough. Hey man. I mean like, well, and here's the other thing about like film and whatever, like that. Oh shit. Ben, you and me should break into the wedding industry. A hundred percent. Okay. Here's the thing as well. Actually I could do photography slash videography there, but I want to do narrative film or documentary as my second tier. I'm not saying that you couldn't, but just being like, I, I want to get into wedding catering or event bartending. That shit makes so much money. But isn't that and like more unsteady than a regular bartending? Sure, but use it to su- use it to supplement everything else. Well, you right? can you can get booked out though for a year. Exactly. Well, you can you can get booked out or even run my I run my Instagram. I run my stuff. Here's my here's my links and hit me up if you want me to bartend your wedding. That yeah. And then we my, make it a package deal: photography, videography, yeah. and you can nice. pay. You can pay <laughs> like financial a, services. Right. Yeah, you, you can pay like a fi- you can pay like a fifteen hundred dollar package to get the bartender, or throw in an extra thousand, you get bartending plus videography. And uh, pictures. dude, I don't walk into a wedding for less than five k. Well, dude, my that. buddy up in the great. Cascadia, he he's making at least six figures from his wedding gigs, yeah, and it's like ten to fifteen for most weddings that he's shooting. Yeah, no, five would be on the low end. And he gets you know a thousand photos back to the couple, and yeah, no, but editing that many photos takes forever. It's not no work, and also the lenses and equipment required to get what most people want is expensive. Like, but. We could get in on it. I, I, like I feel like of the people all Julian needs to do, though, is find some wedding photographers that are getting booked or wedding planners. Talk to them. Be like, I come to my bar and we should have an info. I just want an informational interview. I want to know how your end, like, end of the industry works. And then you serve them drinks and Absolutely. you're like, I can do this for a wedding. If you think I'm a good match for whatever 
couple that is going to book with you next, call me. Put me on that list, and I will Full give you service. a referral. You do hey. the liquor order. Yeah. Bill it to them. Yeah. Built for any budget. Yeah, but man, yeah. I mean, that's just one of those things. Also, like, if the liquor laws end up changing, you can also 100% do batch cocktails and whatever and, like, just sell them off. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you, you wanted to do cocktails like that? Hold yeah. on. I just want to keep talking business, and I feel like we're we're kind of on some cool ideas here. Yeah. Just make it a one-hour split. Like, you just edit all of it for one and then just make it two parts and release them. That means we have to go till three hours. We don't have to go to three hours. Hour and 30 minutes to 40 minutes is our average. I don't want to change that. Okay. All right. How about this? I'm I'm interested in what we're talking about right now. Look, look, Julian, stay the night. Write down your ideas. Topics for tomorrow's episode, which we will record in the morning. Did you read any of the last page I had up? Uh, The last page you had up just had a phone number on it. No, this shit. No. Oh. I can't read script. (laughs) I was doing some uh, creative writing after listening to... I was listening to... I think it was Matt Walsh or Ben Shapiro. And they were talking about... um, They were talking about this podcast episode that's kind of gone viral recently or clip from it. And it's just a bunch of dudes and a bunch of gals and they're all talking about gender issues. And Mm -hmm. one of them just can't articulate a thought without using the word like between every word that she's saying. And so Walsh is like, let me just read you letters written by army privates from like some national battlefield like registry or something. Yeah. And it was like, he just found the first like three letters and these guys were incredibly like artistic and articulate when they were writing and the way they would describe stuff was unbelievable. And it made it, (laughs) it put me to shame. I'll say that like, and I, I consider myself somebody who enjoys, you know, creative use of language and oh yeah thinks about, definitions for words and is actually like adding to their vocabulary or trying to actively but i was still like wow my writing is way worse than this 18 17 year old who probably was only educated for a handful of years and just was writing home you know just to tell his parents how the war was going and it's like those guys were just freaking unbelievable. And then fast forward and it's like, we've had such a decline in language by comparison. Yeah, absolutely. So I was trying to do some writing that I thought would fit that spirit. And I was, it was actually about our, um, Julian and I did our little backpacking adventure into the white clouds last year. Mm -hmm. And so I was writing about that and it's, uh, I don't know. I'm not necessarily, uh, so proud of it but the neat thing too when you think back to a private writing a letter he didn't have a computer where he was sitting there like re-editing lines like really figuring stuff out he put it to pen probably didn't want to scribble out a bunch of words and stuff so he just put it to pen one take said that's good and it was a freaking work of art (laughs) and i'm just like wow Wow, there's been such a loss culturally around the written language. <laughs> that is definitely true. Uh, with that, 
I think that's something worth addressing tomorrow morning when we all wake up. We when, gotta put some, we gotta put some business ideas. When do you to have paper. to be? Uh, when do you have to be to work tomorrow? Six, but I promised my lady I'd be home. So, ah, uh, you little bitch. But we could take you in tomorrow. That's what I'm saying. I I, I understand that we could do that. But what if you just give her a quick uh, dial up? He's pulling out his phone. I'm not. I'm not here to throw a wrench between a man and his woman. No, but this idea of like these bar ideas are really intriguing to me. I want to pursue them. No, I I would definitely reach out to her. Just be like, hey, I think we're onto something here. I don't know. I think if you're no, we all group. we all get up, we all go for a run, work out, oh, get some dude. grub on. All of us go to the gym tomorrow. Yeah. We hit tries, lats, and no, I don't want to hit legs. No, we're not hitting legs before we go into the bar, dude. If I can't walk for the weekend, <laughs> I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I'd rather not be able to shake a tin and just have to be on floor all weekend. But regardless, this is the plan. You call your bird. She says you can stay because she's the best. And then we all go to the gym tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. We're down here. We're going to have some breakfast, 1030, roll to the gym, come back, be productive until 530 when you and I are both. Uh, actually, I get to the bar way earlier than that, but. That's <clears throat> cool if you need to leave. No, no, like I might need. not be edited. I, I don't think I'm opening tomorrow, but I'll check. But if anyway, you take him regardless, back. we get back to the bar, we Squeak. make money, we get home and we're done. Productive day. I think one thing that I want to do. Um, when I get home is I want to look into like different kinds of outlets. How can we like format the whole wedding thing? That sounds like it could be we're going to build Jonah a LinkedIn. Yeah, we should do that. If you don't have a LinkedIn, you got to get that fixed because literally there's, there's this um, film studio in London that I want to apply to. And, um, on their LinkedIn, it shows every single one of their employees, all of them, top to bottom, janitor to CEO. Hmm. You best believe I'm going to write. I've done this before, but I'm going to write a fucking personalized message to every one of those employees and say, next time I'm in London, can I come check you guys out? Here's my resume. If you could think of any way that I could add value to your company, I'd be more than willing to help you guys out. I believe in what you do and I'd love to join. What is it exactly you do? Like what makes you get up in the morning and want to be a craft services expert? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you could do that. But for the red coats. Definitely could. I got to keep doing that. And I mean, I always I always keep my bar relationships pretty close, uh, pretty open. Keep hitting those. Keep hitting those relationships hard. I think what would really make the bar industry really interesting is one, have a bar that's like home, always makes good money. It pays for everything, whatever. But then like fill it out with some independent contracting stuff. Private bartending, bartending events, bartending weddings, things like that. Where I, you, 
go I don't like where this is going. Yeah, no, we're gonna build your brand tomorrow. Okay, yeah. Can we actually tell tell your girlfriend that there's very important business moves being made? All right. In those words? No, like actually call her right now. Speakerphone. We, we are going to sign off now. Speakerphone. Uh, just kidding. Don't do that. That's disrespectful. Anyway, thank you all for joining. Uh, I'd like to remind you, please dislike, unsub, and um, report this podcast <laughs> um, if we don't get pulled off the air soon. You don't know what kind of damage we could do, you know? Yeah. I don't know what we'll say next. If you don't dislike unsub and comment you know, your hatred, erase this off of every friend's phone you have, then uh, you're platforming us. Yeah. Yeah. You're part of the problem. That's a Share dangerous and write game. a scathing review. Just awful. Horrible. Yeah, we need that. Put it on we your Twitter. one stars. Put it on your Instagram. Yeah, because right now our, our votes are, I, we have five stars on Spotify and I just can't abide that. You need to get that down to at least 2.5. Oh, those are rookie numbers. You can pump those down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, anyway, everybody. this has been That's Tough. Get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out of here, guy. words, Mr. President. Yes, Jack. Any superlative words of inspiration for our humble troops? Do not pray for easy lives, my friends. Pray to be stronger men. This program was made possible by contributions to your PBS station from viewers like you. Thank you. <laughs>